in three, two, one. Wayne, we can see you moving your mouth. <laughs> Camera one. Camera two. Well, Camera welcome Camera back, two. everyone, Wayne. to our. If you're not careful, Wayne, podcast. you're gonna lose me. I already did lose you two months ago. What are you mental? <laughs> I mean, we're starting strong today. A gun rack. People. A gun rack. I don't even own a gun, which would necessitate a gun rack. If someone randomly is scrolling across, and <laughs> you just finds got this entertained. Podcast, oh my goodness. What's up? My name is Carrie. Our light is flickering. This is my wife, Megan. <laughs> we have the honor and the privilege of being the pastors of the Movement Church. That's right. Or as anyone who is not a part of our church calls it, the OC Movement yep. because of our Instagram handle. But that's not the name of our church. The Movement Church in Orange County, California. And man, we're so glad you tuned in. Tell Absolutely. them what we're doing. Absolutely. We're in the middle of a series at our church you called talk Babel. To the mic. Thank you, honey. We're in the middle Move of a series. Move the mic to meet your mouth, not your mouth to meet the mic. You're like, Thank uh, you. We're in a series that was about the battle. This light's flickering. Okay. Watch this. Pow, pow. Go. There we go. Um, she just tapped my leg underneath the table. I think we should start over. No, we're not starting over. <laughs> we are in the middle of a series called Battle of Beliefs. That's not, what the, that's not what this podcast is about. This podcast is to supplement the sermons that we preach week in and week out at the Movement Church. So if you've just kind of hopped onto this uh, podcast today, you need to check out our messages from yeah. Sunday, which are right here on the same YouTube's channel. Uh, <laughs> you, this podcast is on Spotify, on podcast, but check out our sermons on YouTube. This yeah. is a supplementation of that. We just want to help bring some content, give you some food for thought. Uh, for those of you that are in connect groups, this will help supplement that as well. Uh, if you call the Movement Church home, you are our people. Yeah. If you don't, come check us out every Sunday, Laguna Hills. 10 a.m. right That's now. That's right. You're taking everything that I was going to say. I just said it. So thanks for that. Like We're done. It, thumbs Good up job, it. guys. Subscribe it. Don't thumbs up it in theory. Watch this and then thumbs up it. No, we really are glad you're here. The series Battle of Beliefs has been so good. And um, if you if you haven't, like Pastor Kerry said, take the time to listen to the messages right. because everything we're talking about and unpacking in this podcast is from what we have been talking about on Sunday mornings at the Movement Church. It's heavy content. Too. It is so much content. It's a lot. It is. It's challenging. It's challenging, challenging for, me. for everyone. It's challenging for everyone. Because really forcing us to evaluate what it is we believe. Our yeah. beliefs inform our decisions. And uh, all of us have beliefs. You have beliefs. Yeah. I have belief. Everybody got belief. And, uh, and so what we're really trying to establish is what is God's plan for our flourishing? What does the word of God say? What is Christian orthodoxy? Yeah. And how does the cultural climate... Uh, conflict with that. Yeah. We're, so. I mean, we're really talking about big questions that everyone has and, um, or, or we're like talking why about why is Pastor Carrie's sleeve so short? We don't know. I just realized show off I'm your very biceps, insecure. Babe. No, it's to show off my tan line. This okay. is my golf tan okay. line. Uh -huh. Congratulations. <laughs> that sums it up. Thanks wow. for tuning in. Back to what I was saying is back to uh, reality. What, what we're oh, talking about are gravity. big questions. <laughs> <laughs> that everyone's asking. And if you're not asking the questions, it's quite possibly because some of these um, beliefs, some of these cultural yeah. ideologies might have woven the way, their way into yeah. your pattern of thinking and you didn't even know it. Yeah. And so the fact that we're talking about it is uh, maybe quite challenging for totally. you and that's okay. So we're not here to... Um, to prove you wrong if right. you think differently than um, the ideas that we're presenting. But we are here to present some biblical truth. Right. What does the word of God say about this? And um, and then you get to decide how you apply that to your life. So yeah. anyhow, you want to dive in? Well, on Sunday we talked about how uh, critical theory uh, conflicts with 
Christianity. Really, it's a counter-Christian yeah. worldview. And, uh, and man, we got to this moment of recording and realized we really need to take a moment and break down critical theory, right. which I think we'll probably do uh, like uh, in our next episode or maybe do two parts to our next episode to yeah. really kind of break down critical theory, which is this, um, it's this social and philosophical worldview that really gets its roots in Marxism. Yeah. Um, it came out of the Frankfurt School in Germany uh, and some French philosophers took the works of Marx and then kind of went even further with, and we unpacked this on Sunday, so I don't want to reiterate what we've already talked about, but um, there, it, it is a pervasive thought process and has been in educational systems in the United States uh, for over 50 years, which means that there are three generations of people, Americans, um, we're talking about all everybody, but today we're talking about Americans specifically, that this worldview has has, sept, has crept in, and, and most of us don't even realize it, and it contradicts uh, a biblical worldview in a, a, an a epic way. Yeah, and so um, yeah, that's kind of where we started. And, and this, if you think about it, uh, the 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 if you look at it like a tree, the root system would be Marxism. The trunk of the tree. Uh, would be critical theory, and off that are branches like critical race theory, yeah. which we just touched on just a skosh. Yeah, just a tiny bit. I think Sunday. that's a hard one to unpack yeah. quickly, and um, I think in the culture and the world we live in today, um, when you hear someone challenging critical race theory, yeah. you think perhaps they're racist. Oh Yeah, I mean, I think that they, things can become polarized, and I think that they're buzzwords too. Yeah. And with any buzzword that we have in our culture today... Um, we we make sweeping assumptions, uh, often based on a lack of understanding, and uh, or we put people in categories, which in and of itself is critical theory at its yeah. finest. Which uh, it, it it really it's two, two pervasive themes of critical theory. One would be uh, the knowledge theory, which is that there is no known truth. Objective truth cannot. Uh, actually exists. It's it's really based upon the knower and what they believe truth is. And the other would be the the power theory or, or or political theory, and that is that everyone fits into one of two categories: the oppressed or the oppressors. And uh, it 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 divides all people into groups, and then that kind of becomes cannibalistic. Yeah in and of itself. But. Yeah, I mean, you've been doing a lot of study on this, a lot of reading, yeah. and I think we've got some books to recommend to those of you that are tuned in, that you're listening. And um, so I don't know how much of this first question you want to tackle sure. um, today. Well, let's just, let's uh, tackle it. But let me... Blue 87! <laughs> Blue 87! Let me... Uh, Omaha! Omaha! Read the question to you. What does you. that even mean? If you can tell what that means, I'll give no you a thousand... Idea. You know I have no idea. Omaha is what Peyton Manning would yell when he was calling an audible. Which means we don't know what we're it's doing. It's not a state either. It's a city. It is a, <laughs> definitely a city. Megan didn't do so well I with geography. I am terrible at geography. One time we did a states of the United States test and showed images and she had to guess wh what the name of the state was or where it was. I am much better I now. Think you, I, I have think studied. third grade children probably surpass you. My fifth grade child might have, but we don't need to talk about that right now. That has nothing to so do with important. this conversation. And so, also let it be known. 
we're just having fun today. Yeah. So let's see what happens. We are. We're having fun. So let's let's see how much of this first question you sure. want to unpack today. Sure. And then um, I think what we'll be doing is releasing a follow-up podcast that's just going to further dive into an explanation on critical theory for those of you that are interested. Because this question says, can you unpack more of how critical theory and critical race theory shows up in our world? What are things that we should look for to identify where we have consumed this ideology mm. without even realizing it? That's great. Well, uh, critical theory in and of itself, it is trying to, ra it's a radical skepticism and cynicism towards mm. truth. And, and, and it believe the, the, this worldview, this ideology believes that um, anything that someone would say is objective truth is a power construct. In other words, there are groups wow. of people in power trying to oppress you by telling you what truth is. So you need to live your own truth. Um, so when you see radical cynicism and skepticism, that could be an indication. I struggle with this. Yeah. I'll talk about that a little bit later. I, I, I have a bent towards cynicism. I'm naturally skeptical and I, and it bends towards cynicism, which is mm. just uh, a negative approach towards things And in there. It, it actually has roots in a victim or poverty mentality, which wow. we can unpack that for me personally, unpack that later. But when, when you try to, when, when, when you try to put people into groups, and you say you belong to this group, whether you want to or not, it, you could have been born into that. Um, you know, for instance, we, we saw uh, police brutality in the past few years. I, I would just say that not all brutality that we were told was police brutality is police brutality, but we definitely saw some heinous yeah. acts yeah. by white police officers towards uh, black men or young black men and uh, heinous and egregious and, and, and gr grieves us. And you're like, oh my gosh, this is just disgusting. It's yeah. the deplority of, uh, I don't know if that's a word, but it's just humanity being displayed in a negative and, and, yeah. and the most disgusting way. Uh, but then you hear the responses to defund the police because naturally if there is a cop who is racist or uh, just a horrible individual, then that must mean all cops are bad. Yeah, I think that was the thing that was uh, communicated because alongside of so many people saying we need to defund the police, there was just this idea that anyone who served yeah. in law enforcement was awful. Yeah. And and that's just not true. But the problem is that critical theory, critical race theory would say if you say it's not true, then, then you're a racist. You, are a racist. you fit into the group of the oppressor and that is damning. That's really scary. And it flies in the face of the gospel. The gospel does unify us it unifies us in the fact that we are all sinners yeah we are all created yeah and we're all in need of a savior yeah but then it unites us in the the redemptive act of what jesus did for us so when you see people put into different groups that's one of those ways to see that the blurring of boundaries so so critical theory would suggest that boundaries are a, a power construct that People want to put you into boundaries and tell you that this is who you are. This is this is right and wrong. And, and critical theory would say, no, you don't necessarily get to, to oppress me with that. And, and it even questions and challenges science. Yeah. Uh, take, for instance, the gender politics and identity politics that are at work right now that would suggest that you can defy science by saying my biology doesn't determine my gender and that is the blurring of a boundary so therefore yeah. facebook has 52 genders available and our children are we, we talked about this each week but I, that's a place where you see critical theory uh show up where you see critical race theory uh pop up is 
uh, even the book that I read in, in 2020, and, and, I, and I even reposted about it, which is White Fragility, it revealed some things in me I didn't like, some biases that I had, that all of us have biases. Right. But the author goes on to say that if you're white, you are eternally guilty for all the sins of racism. And that is not okay. It also goes on to say, if you are black, you are always a victim. And that is not, okay. not okay. Or a, or a person of color, which is confusing, by the way. I have black friends, and they told me if I say that I, if I say African-American, it identifies that I don't have any black friends. So I started saying, okay, black. But then I was told, no, you should say people of color. And then I was like, wait a minute. Uh, is that okay to say that I had another one of my black friends say, no, that's almost derogatory too. So I, then I don't know what to say or what to do. It's almost like you can't, you don't say anything then. Yeah. And because you, you're going to offend someone at all points. And that is also critical. Critical theory, theory is that the, the power of language, which would suggest that, that the, the, whatever is spoken and how I interpret it is as important as what you meant. In other words, I don't have to care what you meant. If what you said is offensive, then it's okay for me to be offended. That's critical theory, which is right. absolutely asinine. Yeah. Now, okay. I want to come on the, the flip side of this and, and say some people might be listening and they're hearing you say, well, does it not matter how I feel then when oh, you say question. something? Like if you say something that yeah. offends me or that I'm frustrated by, does it not matter how I feel? Yeah, right. Are you, is that what you're telling me, mm -hmm. Pastor Kerry? No, I, that's a great question. No, our feelings are valid, but our feelings aren't always truth. And so, man, we this happens in our marriage all the time. Yeah. The biggest challenge in 90% of marriage, it, it isn't sex and it isn't money. It's usually communication. Now, a lot of times it's about sex or money, <laughs> but it's, and it's not even that this, that each spouse doesn't want to communicate effectively. We just aren't always good at right. it. I say things and you hear something different. And, right. Or you might say something and I hear something different and our feelings are valid. Sometimes it hurts. Yeah. You're very hurtful at times I and very, sure uh, very just verbally abusive. Mm. And I, uh, no, I'm kidding. No, Everyone's no. worried about yeah, you right everybody's now. Everybody's so worried about mm -hmm. me. But, but if, if what I interpret it has as much value as what you meant, we're in trouble. Yeah. But if I come to you and go, Hey, th when you said this, this is how it made me feel. You can go, Oh man, that's exactly what I meant. <laughs> or you could say, Oh, I'm so sorry that you, that that's how it made you feel, but that's not what I meant. Let me try to clearly communicate what I mean. Yeah. I think that's valuable because, um, I, I think in some ways we've lost the art of, um, having real conversations with people. And I think so much of that might even have to do with the cancel culture that we yeah. live in. It's like, you said that that's offensive. I'm done with you. Yeah. And I have a right to be done with yeah. you. And it's all about my personal right. But actually, uh, as a, as a Christian, part of my responsibility is to say, you know what? I may be hurt and I may feel challenged. I, I may be, I may be frustrated and I, I, I don't get to take that as my right to hold on to because my job as a follower of Jesus is to say, you know what, I'm going to do the work of having a hard conversation and working towards reconciliation here because there's a breakdown in our relationship and, and I don't want that. Yeah. And so it's being willing to come in and say, Hey, when you said this, this is how it made me feel and give you the opportunity to say, Oh my goodness, that would never be my intention or whatever it is that you might yeah. respond. And so I, I think that that, that is something that is our responsibility. So it's not, you're not saying it doesn't matter how you feel. Yeah. You're just saying that uh, 
we have a responsibility to have conversation about that totally. and not just label someone. Well, and that conversation isn't happening. Yeah. Di dialogue isn't happening. It's, it's one-sided. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm not saying that racism doesn't exist. Right. Because it does. It does. And it's rampant. And, and I, I'm a, I'm not a person of color. I'm not black, Hispanic, uh, Asian American, Pacific Islander. I mean, I don't, I don't fit into quote Any unquote minority. Yeah. And so I haven't experienced racism. Right. Uh, and so I, that's important for the context. Like yeah. if, if what you're hearing me say is that you just need to get over it. Oh man. No. Or it doesn't exist. No, I'm not saying that at all. Uh, no, I, it definitely exists. And, and there are stories of pain and sorrow and mm -hmm. grief and trauma. Yep. And some of, some people even listening or watching, you, you've probably experienced racism in a way that it you still grapple with it, the, the pain from that. And, yeah, and there's man, still I, triggers for that pain. Those feelings are yeah. valid. And what, what, it happened, what happened to you was, was awful. And, and I'm not dismissing that yeah. at all. Uh, what I'm suggesting is because you've experienced racism doesn't mean that all white people are inherently racist. And I'm not suggesting that because I am not racist doesn't mean that there are not white people who are racist yeah. or black people who are racist or Hispanic, et cetera, et cetera. We, we need to acknowledge there's problems in our world. Yeah, real problems. But the problem is not a group of people. No, the, the problem, problem is sin. sin. <laughs> and sin emerges in people. Yeah. I think we should jump to question three because I, I think that would be worth talking about. We had a lot okay, of great. questions come in specifically about critical race theory, okay. which is hard to unpack without the foundation of unpacking critical right. theory, but we'll come back and, uh, and, and talk about that for those of you that are interested. But. Okay, well, let's dive in there then. We'll skip ahead. I'll come back to number two. So number three says, you shared that we actually do need some components of critical race theory. Can you elaborate on what you mean by that? Yeah, and I, th I think I should say, number one, I'm not, uh, what's the word? I am not an, I am not the authority on this, yeah. nor am I an expert, nor will I get everything right. Right. So I think that's, those are good. That's good disclaimers and great context. So if, or when I say something that ticks you off, let's have conversation about it. Yeah. I want to grow. I want to learn and, and let's, but let's have dialogue and let's understand this. And I, I also yeah. say, should, should say one great resource that is not written by a Christian author, so I do not align with all of what he says, but you chew the meat and spit out the bones, is Woke Racism by John McWhorter. He yeah. is, he's black, he's mm -hmm. a Democrat, he's an atheist, uh, he's a professor of linguistics at Columbia University, which is a extremely liberal university. I think that all those things contextually matter. He's a, he's a father who's raising two kids yep. in this generation, yep. so I think that matters it too matters. for us as parents. And he wrote a book, Woke Racism, specifically about critical race theory. I mentioned this on Sunday in his book. He said, make no mistake, they're coming for your children. In other words, this is something that at the highest levels of education, they're trying to enforce in the state of California, which is where we live. Uh, by the end of this year, all teachers will be required to go through critical race theory training. And the goal, I think, I forget if it's 2025 or 2026, uh, it's going to be required that all high school students take a course on um, racial, eth ethnic, equity, I forget the actual term, but it's all based in critical race theory. And, and so when he says that, make no mistake, they're coming for your children, it's absolutely correct. Um, but I think I, I should probably talk about some of the tenets of 
critical race theory and then we can unpack the strengths that we find in that. Yeah. I think all of this, I, I choose to believe, I choose to give people the, the, the best foot forward. I choose to believe it comes from great motives. Absolutely. I, I, I think for the most part, most people really have good intentions. Yeah. Yeah, and just I, but I think that they're going about this with the wrong approach. Uh, for instance, critical race theory. One tenant of that is that racism and racial outcomes are the result of complex, changing, and often subtle social and institutional dynamics, rather than explicit and intentional prejudices of individuals. In other words, you are a racist simply by the group you belong to or were born into rather than based on your own personal biases. Wow. Which means you don't choose it. You are a racist based on what group you're born into. It but removes it, personal responsibility and makes it really easy to put the blame somewhere. And, 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 and what John McWhorter says is that critical race theory is going to set us back two to three waves in uh, what the, the what we've accomplished in our nation, uh, two to three waves. He says pre-civil rights movement. He said that's how dangerous this is. Wow. But it, it, here's the other thing that's part of it. It also suggests that if you are a minority or a person of color, you are the victim of these uh, atrocities, regardless of what you've experienced, and you will be until we destroy the current power dynamics. Wow. So it also removes from, from people the, uh, the opportunity to overcome obstacles. Wow. So that's one component of it that I think is challenging. Uh, some of the themes is the crit critique or criticism of liberalism, not, not in regards to politics, but liberalism being uh, the, the philosophies that have founded the Western civilization for the past 200 years, mm. uh, like uh, capitalism, which is, has strengths and weaknesses, yeah. like freedom of expression, freedom of speech, like the uh, uh, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Yeah. It's the radical critique of liberalism saying that liberalism is part of the problem. Uh, another component of it, 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 and there is some challenges with that. Yeah. In fact, so many of the dynamics that we've experienced were founded based on white men who established laws that were problematic, that led to slavery. Yeah. Uh, even though our constitution said all men created equal, that wasn't at play no, in our country. No, they did country. not put that into play. It, no, before that was written and after, uh, even into the 60s and with civil rights movement, Jim Crow laws, segregation, et cetera, et cetera. So there is truth to that. Yeah. But deconstructionism would, would connotate that we're trying to rebuild, but this is to destroy that. Yeah. So there is great things in liberalism that you appreciate and enjoy, but... Another component or tenet of critical race theory is the idea of storytelling or counter storytelling to name one's own reality. Hmm. And, and this actually, it, it is a good thing, I believe, because it, it's, it, it's, it, it's communicating <laughs> the use of narrative or storytelling to illuminate and explore lived experiences of racial oppression. I mean, for years, media and culture portrayed people of color in demonstrative or a danger to women and children, or they were downplayed or portrayed as uneducated or irresponsible. And these like, movies and yeah. stories and film, uh, and these intentionally did and unintentionally hmm. normalize racism. And I think that's a problem. Absolutely. And there is an advantage to storytelling and, and understanding someone's lived experience. Wouldn't you say like, we need that. We need it desperately because I know for me, uh, because I, I, I am white 
and I don't have the same experiences right. as um, some of my my black friends. And so to sit down with them and to listen to their stories and some of the um, we grow. the things that they've experienced, my heart is broken for the pain and the the fear and some of the. Um, actual just real life experiences that they've walked through. And so for me, I am able to have empathy because I wouldn't know that totally. if it weren't for the storytelling. So there is some value to the storytelling. Well, and and it, it reveals biases in us. Some of our great friends are Hispanic and they're pastors. They don't hold the same political persuasions that we do in every area. And some of the greatest growth in me has come from sitting down and talking to them and realizing where the problems were in some of my own biases and my yeah. own social oh, yeah. constructs. So this is so real yeah. and it's needed, but critical race theory takes it to the next level Yeah, because some of the, the early authors of critical race theory, Delgado, and I think it's Steph, Stefansic, I, I'm not exactly sure how yeah. to pronounce uh, uh, Jean's last name, but uh, they said that freedom of expression is believed to favor the powerful elites Huh. and to assign responsibility for racist stereotypes to the marketplace of ideas. So what they're starting to do now is challenge freedom of expression. It's challenging and cr criticizing and becoming cynical towards liberalism. But they're dabbling with the notion of controlling who gets to speak based on the group you belong to. Wow. And that's We've problematic. We've seen that happening in the past two years, the, yes. the level of censorship even on social media and things yes. like that, and haven't we? Like right now, some people might be frustrated that we're talking about this and we're both white and we don't have a person of color yeah. here. Yeah. And that, that would, which I, I'm not suggesting that it's wrong to have, that it would be better or worse to have someone, a person of color here. I'm just suggesting it's okay for us to talk about this. Yeah. And so this it is good and we need to be able to have and share the stories to illuminate the lived experiences of racial oppression. But when we begin to say, you can't speak because you're an oppressor, we're now doing the same thing yeah. to people that we are accusing them of doing to us. Is this making sense? I hope so. And, and this is a, a, a tenant, a theme of critical theory, the power of language. The speaker's meaning has no more authority than the hearer's interpretation. Wow. Uh, another tenant of critical theory, a uh, critical race theory is called standpoint epistemology. And, and this is what it means. Members of racial minority groups have a unique authority and ability to speak about, about racism. And that is so true. That is true. That's exactly what we're talking about. Like when we sit down and hear lived experiences, it should shape and inform how we live, how we behave. It should shape and inform laws that we are creating. There's no doubt about it. But what we can't do is cross over into the place that says, my truth is of more value than your truth. That becomes an oppressor oppressed uh, language again. And we have to remember what the truth is. Yeah. So, I, I mean, there's so many things on here. Another one is the revisionist interpretation of American civil rights laws and progress. And this, I think, is so powerful hmm. because as we were trying to, uh, to tear down segregation in our nation, we rebuilt some laws and didn't do it right. We didn't get it right. And we created some more problems. And so, as a result, uh, what we, what we're, what these individuals are saying is we need to come back and revisit this. In other words, they're saying we still haven't got it right. right. And I would agree. I would agree. There's still so much work to be done. I would agree. So I'm a product of that. Yeah. So in my teenage years, I lived in section eight housing, but what they did in the area that I lived in, in, in Dallas, Texas, is they tore down some projects in West Dallas 
and rebuilt Section 8 housing in affluent areas. Yeah. And the hope was to get children an opportunity to go to schools where the education level was better because of the tax brackets yeah. of the schools that they were going to. Greater opportunities. Yeah. And this, I think, is beautiful. I yeah. love that because we need to give people equal opportunities Absolutely. To, to dream to create business, to be anything they want to be, to, to go for it. <laughs> yeah. That's what America is yeah. built on. The problem is critical race theory shifts beyond just equal opportunities and shifts to equity, which is now we demand equal outcome. Huh. That's where things begin to emerge where we say, we're going to do away with accelerated math programs because there are people who are in less uh, affluent areas that, that aren't, don't have the same educational opportunities. So therefore they feel segregated against. So let's completely wipe out accelerated math, which I think that is absolutely silly to say, hey, you know, we don't want to inspire all of our scholars to go for it with academia, to learn and to strive and yeah. to dream big and to challenge themselves. So we want equal opportunities, right. but we cannot demand equal outcome. Right. That's not a biblical narrative. And anytime yeah. man or government tries to demand equal outcome, it always ends in disaster. My friends, this is socialism and communism. And I'm not sure if you've been paying attention to the world uh, stage over the last few thousand years, but communism and socialism never, ever, ever works. Now you might be going, well, there's flaws in capitalism. <laughs> You're right. Absolutely. Why? Because anytime humanity is involved, there's going to be problems. That's why the solution is not politics. The solution cannot come solely from man. The solution is in the reconciliation yeah. of Jesus and what he wants to do in our lives. There's so many more things. Can I jump to yeah. one of the other questions based on um, kind of the example you just gave? You were talking, and, and you talked a lot about this on Sunday in your message. You talked about um, as a Christ follower, as a with a biblical worldview, we want equal opportunity yeah. for all. Like that, that is a biblical concept is that everyone has an opportunity to be everything that God created them to be. So we we want equal opportunities, but what you hit on was equity and the fact that we can't demand equal outcomes yeah. for those opportunities. And so we had a handful of parents that were kind of wrestling with that question. And, and so they presented this as our kids are going through school, they experience different access to resources or opportunities based on need. So how do we have the conversation and advocate for equal opportunity while not demanding equity? Can you break down the difference again? And let me just give you a picture that's taught in I will our, do our my schools. best. I am not an authority on the subject. Yeah. I should let you know. <laughs> so there's a there's a picture that's taught in our schools to our educators. Some several of my good friends are teachers and and the picture would be is that we're we're standing at a fence. Mm -hmm. We've got two children and uh, they're standing at a fence and one of them is uh, two feet shorter than the other. Yeah. So the tall child can see over the fence to see clearly what we're talking about, but the shorter child can't see anything over the fence. Yeah. And so the goal of our educators is how do I come in and provide a stool so that they can stand on the stool and both of these students can now see over the fence to accomplish whatever the task is that's in front of them. So that would be equal opportunity. That would be me saying, how can I help this person yeah. who is at a disadvantage right now and they need some extra help? help to be able to see clearly. But equity would say, equity would take say, the fence down for the shorter child, but require the one who's taller to still climb over it. Yeah. So, so for instance, even with children with disabilities, yeah. like that, if, if there's a child with a disability, they don't have the same opportunities that all children do. So I understand yeah. that completely, but we cannot say we're going to 
in order to accommodate someone who comes from an impoverished area or someone based upon their skin color, we're not going to require the same things from them as we will everyone else. That's equity. Right. But to give somebody who comes from a lower income area where their schools are not in a high tax bracket, where their educational system is not great, to come in and go, I, I don't know all the solutions, but to come in and go, hey, we're going to provide some after school opportunities yeah. and we're going to lean in and help you. We're going to do tutoring and we're going to lean. We're going to bring in a group of people around you to help to you, support you, to support you, to give you opportunities. But you decide what you do with that opportunity. I, I think that's the key is that we want to make sure. So in our in our school systems, we want to make sure every child has the opportunity yeah. to learn, to dream big, to yeah. be successful. And and the goal is, is that you know my friend who's an educator was saying the goal is that every child has the opportunity to master a subject. Yeah. And so we want to do whatever it takes to give them that opportunity, whatever their background is, whatever their the struggle might be. We want to give them that opportunity. But what we what we can't control is what they do with that opportunity exactly. and so that is up to the individual what they do with that opportunity and where that takes them absolutely uh, and and that is what that is what develops drive that's what develops gives us the ability to overcome obstacles in the future in fact um, I, I there's a great clip that I we're running out of time yeah. and and we're gonna have to do part two of this um, that I, I definitely, I want to show, in fact, I, I believe our team is going to help us put this up. And this is Condoleezza Rice on The View, the, the morning talk show, talking specifically about critical race theory. So just take a minute and watch this clip because I love her perspective on this very yeah. thing. So the tight governor's race in blue-leaning Virginia is being seen as a barometer for which way America will swing in 2022, in the midterms. And one of the key issues up for debate is how much of a voice parents should have in their child's school curriculum, especially when it comes to subjects like sex, sex education and critical race theory. I thought they didn't teach critical race theory They're until they went to like law school or something. That's right. I sure hope not, because I'm not certain seven-year-olds need to learn it. I, it just yeah. sounds crazy it to does. me. So, but yeah. the question is, do parents need more influence here, or should they leave the lesson planning to the pros? Uh, well, I was a teacher, and there is a curriculum that teachers follow, and it's studied by supposedly experts. I have a lot of education uh, credits because you learn how to teach and you learn mm -hmm. your subject. So you can't really pit that up against an, an, a parent who just is annoyed that you're teaching, uh, you know, uh, to kill a mockingbird or whatever the curriculum uh, says. You can't have the parents interfering to that extent in the, in the curriculum. But it's nice to hear from them. But if they are adamant and they don't want you to teach uh, what is going to be taught, period, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. they're going to have to homeschool their kids because this is not going to wash. Well, they're, they're actually homeschooling them in increasing numbers. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a, a signal. Uh, first of all, parents ought to be involved in their, their children's uh, yes, they education. Should. Their children are in school seven hours. That's a very formative period. And uh, I think parents ought to have a say. We used to have parent-teacher conferences. We mm -hmm. used to have PTAs. There are lots of ways for parents to yeah. be involved, and they should be. 
But if I could take a moment to talk about the whole issue of critical race theory and what is and is not mm. being taught. Uh, I come out of an academic uh, institution and uh, this is a, something that academics debate, what is the role of race and so forth. And, and let me be very clear, I grew up in segregated Birmingham, Alabama. Mm -hmm. um, I couldn't go to a movie theater or to a restaurant with my parents. I went to segregated schools till we moved to Denver. Mm -hmm. My parents never thought I was going to grow up in a world without prejudice, but they also told me that's somebody else's problem, not yours. You're going to overcome it and you are going to be anything you want to be. And that's the message that I think we ought to be sending to kids. One of the worries that I have about the way that we're, we're talking about race is that it either seems so big that somehow white people now have to feel guilty for everything that happened in the past. I, I mm -hmm. don't think that's very productive. Or black people have to feel disempowered by mm -hmm. race. I would like black kids to be completely empowered, to know that they are beautiful in their blackness, mm -hmm. but in order to do that, I don't have to make white kids feel bad for being white. So somehow, this is a conversation that has sorry, gone in the wrong direction. that last part, you don't have to watch? Yeah, you know, there's a little bit of, it, in order for black kids who, quite frankly, for a long time, the way they were portrayed, the way their history was portrayed, mm -hmm, right. it was second-class citizenship. Of course. But I don't have to make white children feel bad about being white how, in how order to overcome the fact that black children uh, were... How does that happen? Think, it, well, it I have happens, a couple I, examples here, yeah, actually. Yeah. In Cupertino, California, um, in an elementary school, uh, third graders are uh, instructed to rank themselves based on their power and their privilege. Uh, California's Department of Education is proposing to eliminate opportunities for accelerated math in the name of equity. In Greenwich, a white bias survey is handed out to seventh grade English class. Um, a New York private school um, is... Uh, separating by race, gender, and ethnicity, white identifying group met with a white consultant who displayed a slide that named supposed characteristics of white supremacy. Uh, an equity statement from the school district of Palm Beach County outlined the initiative dismantling structures rooted in white advantage. It's happening uh, across the country. Well, but, but again, if you have a teacher, history is going to be taught. Yeah, absolutely. History is and going it should to be, be taught. taught. And as we were talking earlier, you know, when you go to Texas, you talk to Mexican kids who feel like crap because they're being told they're less than because of the Alamo. The whole idea of teaching history is so we don't repeat it. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I think that if you're a good teacher, you don't teach to make a, a, a white kid feel bad. Right. You're supposed to say, listen, you didn't do any of this, but you should know what happened. I have and, 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 and Make sure, right. that, uh, along with black kids and Native American kids and, mm -hmm. and all the colors that be in school. I have no problem with, with letting people know what happened. Yes. But right. let's remember, history is complex. Mm -hmm. right? It is. Human beings, human beings mm -hmm. aren't angels now, and they weren't angels in the past. No. And so how we teach about our history is also important. But you have to, well, there is no way to hide the fact that white people it, owned black people. There's no, no way to hide and, that. And, and, and I think that. that's been the issue, that uh, there's yeah. been this sort of rollback of history. People want to hide history. Oh, I don't. And, no, come, well, come well yes, yes, that, that is true. Oh, no. 45 and what, seconds, and what, and what we are seeing is this, this rollback of history. Parents don't want children to hear about the real history. And when we teach children about the real history, I think that is when 
we will really have true people are racial being, reconciliation. People are, being told, people are being taught the true history, but I just have to say one more thing. It goes back to how we teach the history. That's what I'm saying. We teach the good and we teach the bad of yes. history. Yeah, but right. what we don't do is make seven and ten-year-olds feel that they are somehow bad people because of the color of their skin. We've been through that, yeah. yes. and we don't need to do that well, again. We don't want anybody anyway. to feel that. Precisely. That's, that's the idea. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> you know, think about some of the powerful statements there. And I just want to go on the record for saying, I think history needs to, it's, it needs to be taught. Absolutely. If we don't, just like Whoopi Goldberg said, yeah. it will repeat itself. Yeah. We have to we teach have that. We have to teach it. But I man, think about the powerful statement that Condoleezza Rice said mm -hmm. when she said she was raised in segregated Alabama, which is literally one of the chief states of segregation. And, yeah. and I love what her parents said to her. Mm -hmm. She said they, racism exists. And she said they didn't believe segregation would end in their lifetime. Wow. And she said, but that's someone else's problem, not yours. Yeah. That is a kingdom mindset. Yeah, that's great. Critical race theory says here is a, a child, a person of color, black or Hispanic or Asian American or Pacific Islander, and she's a victim and it is your fault. Yeah. And that is problematic. That's the problem. I think so many parents that are, are so many individuals that hear parents saying, we cannot allow critical race theory to be taught in our schools. I think they hear us saying, we don't want kids mm. to learn about the experiences of someone else. We don't want we don't want our kids to learn how to walk in empathy or in someone else's shoes. Or they think we want our kids to continue in their biases. And that couldn't be further from the truth. Yeah. Well, for some, at least yeah. we can speak for yeah. us. Yeah, I'm speaking for me. Uh, we just recognize there's actually so much uh, more at play when it comes to critical race yeah. theory. And it's contradicting the word of God. Condoleezza Rice said it perfectly. She said human beings weren't angels then. And, and we're they not aren't angels, angels now. now. Yeah. And that's the problem. So here's, let me just say this. If you're hearing me say, if you hear us feel militant, <laughs> it's because we are at war against the powers of darkness. Yeah. I believe Satan is in an all out attack and he's going after our kids. Yeah. In fact, critical theories goal and plan is to get children to forget what their parents have taught them. Well, that whole conversation on The View started with uh, how much of a role should parents be allowed to have say, in their children's leave it life. To the experts. That is out to think that someone else is better equipped than you to raise your kids is asinine. Yeah. Now listen, you, we need help. We do. We need experts. We need insight. But God's given you divine wisdom to know how to parent your kids. Yeah. So I believe there's a problem. I believe racism exists. Yep. I believe we've perpetuated it yeah. for decades and for centuries, and it needs to end. My problem is not to say that it doesn't. And my problem, I, I'm not even suggesting that all of the components of critical race theory are wrong. Right. I'm suggesting they're their solution is a problem. Yeah. It only perpetuates racism. Like John McCorder says, it sets us back two waves in what we've accomplished thus far in tearing down segregation and trying to bring hope and reconciliation uh, amongst races. And I, yeah. I believe it's problematic, but I do believe that there's a couple things we need to do. Yeah. I think we've got to begin to identify our own biases. Absolutely. And so how do you do that? The challenge is, if you have a bias, it's because it's hardwired into your brain. And it could be because you grew up in an environment that also perpetuated biases. Yeah. So the best way to reveal that is to sit down across the table from someone who doesn't look like you, who doesn't think like you, yeah. who doesn't vote like you, 
and say, help me see where I've got blind spots. It's when you feel challenged in what we're talking about today. It might be you don't agree, but it could be an indication of your own personal biases. All of us have biases. So what I hear you saying is it's important for us to actually be humble enough to sit down with somebody else and to allow them to say, hey, I think you might have a bias here. Yeah. And uh, and that requires a lot of humility. Absolutely. But that humility is a biblical concept. Absolutely. And uh, I think it's something that we all we all could use a little bit more of. No, absolutely. And, and I think another component would be to ask the Holy Spirit, hey, show me. Yeah. Where am I making a sweeping assessment or judgment about an individual or a people group or putting someone into a group and assuming they think this way or believe this way or act this way? Yeah, I love I love the scripture that you shared on Sunday in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 13 through 16. It said, "But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Yeah. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing walls of hostility by setting aside his flesh, the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Yeah, and that the, when it says he tore down the wall, that's in reference to a wall of, separate, of separation or segregation that was in Solomon's temple and in the second wave temple. And that wall was built to let Gentiles, anyone that was not of Jewish faith, know what part of the temple they could be in. So there was a sign on it that said, if you are not a Jew and you come on the other side of this wall, you will be put to death. It was segregation and racism of epic proportion. And the scripture is saying yeah. Jesus tore down that wall. That's right. Jesus is bringing us together. So do I have a solution fully? No, I don't. But I know that we can find it in the gospel. The gospel shows that God, God created us. He gave us the ability to choose to walk with him or to choose self-rule. We chose self-rule, which is sin, and sin segregates us. Yeah. It separated us from God. But what God didn't do is say, well, you screwed up and you're eternally damned for it. No, he said, oh, I've got a plan of reconciliation. It's Jesus. And Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. It's a ministry of reconciliation. Yeah. God reconciled us to him, but then he gave us the ministry of reconciliation, which means our responsibility is to reconcile with, with each one other. another. Yeah. So listen, let's, let's let the Holy Spirit do some work on us to evaluate some biases. But also if you're a teacher right now, then teach your students they're not a victim. Yeah. Teach your students not to be oppressors, that, they, that all of us have flaws, all of us have problems, and that we can accomplish great things no matter what our heritage is, yeah. our economic status, our skin color. Nothing can prevent us from doing something awesome with what is in our hands. We need great faculty in schools, yes, teachers, and principals, and assistant principals. We need some people to start some charter schools and some private schools and to start some scholarships for people who don't have money to get them into educational systems like that, yeah. to give them equal opportunity. We need some people who love Jesus and run for house uh, seats in the Senate and in Congress and, and, and in civil areas, mayors and city council. And we, school boards. And school boards. <laughs> and, and not just gripe about it or yeah. post about it, but actually do something about it. That's one of the things we need to do. And parents, listen to me. You have a responsibility and a mandate in your life 
to be a louder voice than the world around us to teach them the truth of God's word. You, you don't have to worry about whether or not the world around us is going to teach counter-Christian values. It will. They are. <laughs> but you get to come in and say, hey, let me tell you what the word of God says. Here's how we treat each other. Here's where people find their value and the fact that they are a son or a daughter of the Most High God. So regardless of their age, their skin color, their financial status, they are a, an object of God's holy love and we're to treat them as the yeah. same. So we have a mandate on our life to right the wrong in how we live, how we teach, and what we do with what's in our hand. Absolutely. That's Man, so good. This is a long this podcast. Was, this was a long podcast with lots of heavy material. Yeah. And um, we're going to pick up again next week and have some fun and tackle some other hard topics. So. Yeah. And let me just say this. If, if you're listening and we've offended you, I want to apologize. Uh, let's have a conversation. Let us know. And, uh, and let's, let's talk about it. That our objective is not agreement because we may not always agree on things, yeah. but, but we can find alignment. Yeah. And that, that's the, that's the kingdom mentality yeah, right there. Absolutely. Can I just say that you didn't really sing as many songs today in this podcast? We had so much content to go through <laughs> that I thought we've I got know. to move. And but I feel like we barely, we barely scratched, scratched the, surface. the surface, but that's okay. We will be back here again next week. Um, just talking about more. So if you have questions, let us know what the questions are. Let us know what you want us to talk about. Um, because that's what we're here for. Yeah. yeah? And if uh, you're in town, we'll see you on Sunday at the, Movement, at the Church. Movement Church. We'll talk to you soon. Have a great week.